I vividly remember the first time I rode a roller coaster. I was about eighth grade, and I'd been to theme parks before that, and we were at Six Flags in Atlanta, but I never rode a roller coaster till that day because I am terrified of heights. So the thought of going up in a roller coaster to the top, especially the first drop, and thinking about being up there and feeling that foot plunge down, I, I just couldn't do it. And so I was actually on a youth trip with the church I grew up in. And of course I would sit there and I watched as everybody else would get on the rides and they looked like they were having so much fun. And my youth pastor, he bugged me the whole time. He'd say, hey, just get on one ride. Get on one roller coaster. You need to get on one. And he gave me advice. He said, okay, when you get on one, just scream. He said, it'll make you feel better. Just cry out when you go down one of those hills. So finally he wore me down, and I decided that I was going to get on the great American screen machine. Because I figured if I could, <laughs> I figured if I could ride that one, I could ride any of the other roller coasters there. If I could get through that, I could get through anything. So we strapped in, and up we went. Tick, 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 tick. And... <laughs> I got to tell you, when you're at the top of those things, it looks way higher than it does from the ground. I was looking down going, this is a bad idea. And the first car went over the hill, then the second car, and then swoosh, my body was lifted up off the seat. I could feel my stomach going into my throat, and I remembered what he said, and I yelled out the biggest, ah, just the biggest scream I possibly could. And it did help. And before I knew it, whoosh. We were at the bottom of that hill. It was over with. And then up the next one. And we went back down the next one. And I screamed on the second hill, but I didn't scream as loud on the second hill because the second hill wasn't quite as bad as the first hill. It was shorter. It didn't last as long. And then third hill came. And then the fourth hill. And by the end of the ride, these plunges are more like momentary bumps. I didn't have to scream anymore. And the ride came back to peace. A roller coaster of emotions is what the psalmist is going through in Psalm 42 and 43. He had something, his life seemed to be going pretty good, but something happened that put him inside a fit of distress, a fit of depression, and he experiences what we see in 42 and 43, a roller coaster of emotions. He goes from, from low to high to low to high. And... We learn from this as we look at his story in 42 and 43. We see what he did to help himself as he went through this time, this roller coaster of emotions. Something that we can do when we experience that too. You see, I like the book of Psalms because the Bible never mentions the word depression in the medical sense that we use today. But it does say a lot of stuff, especially in the book of Psalms. For example, in... Uh, in like verse 4 where it says, I pour out my soul within me. In verse 5 where he says, my soul is in despair and it's restless within me. Verse 6 he said, my soul is in despair. I mean, to, be in, to have your soul in despair, to have your soul restless, to be in a tumult, doesn't that sound familiar to you? And so we relate to these psalms because we have times in our own lives where we go through a roller coaster of emotions, where we plunge down these steep hills and we look at this guy and what he did as a faithful follower of God and we can use his story to help us in our own roller coasters in life. 
And so Psalm 42 starts off with verses 1 through 5, and it's the big drop. It's the big plunge at the beginning of the ride. So let's read the first five verses. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? I remember these things and pour out my soul within me, for I used to go over to the with the multitude and walk with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude celebrating a festival. But why are you in despair, my soul, and why are you rest restless within me? Wait for God, for I will again praise Him for the help of His presence, my God. So Psalm 42 and 43, it seems like they are supposed to go together. Because as we'll see in 43, the, the chorus that repeats again in Psalm 43. And there's even similar verses and similar themes between the two, verse, two, court, the two chapters. Uh, essentially, Psalm 43 is like the sequel. Or it's the conclusion to kind of resolve the climax that we see in chapter 42. They're written by a guy who is the son of, of Korah, a Korah-like priest. This was somebody whose job was to take care of primarily the doors and guarding the doors and who got to enter and leave the temple. And a lot of them were uh, people who were loyal to King David, very faithful followers of God. In fact, they write a lot of the Psalms in the book of Psalms because of that. And it becomes clear that, as, as we see inside, for example, verse 4, this was a guy who enjoyed a time where he was full of joy. I mean, he was a joyful man. He was full of praise. He hung out with people. He had a great life. But something happens. We don't know exactly what happens to him. Uh, it could be this, like the story of Absalom, where Absalom drove David out. But he enters into a state of distress and a state of depression. And he struggles with this in these psalms. And so they're likely, as we'll see in a second, up in the northern part of Israel where it's, it's a desert. Where, and not only is it a desert and it's wilderness, but there's drought conditions going on. It's tough living. And picture yourself there with this guy. You're looking around at at this empty wasteland where there's no vegetation anywhere, where the water streams have all dried up, and you see an animal, you see a deer walking, and its head is down, and its legs are dragging behind it. Its ribs are showing through its fur, and its tongue is sticking out, panting, looking for that running streams that used to be there. And he looks at that deer and he says, that's how I feel right now. Verse 1 and 2. He says, that's how my soul feels. I am panting for help. I am looking for help. I am looking for God's presence like that deer dying for some water in this drought wilderness. And his plunge continues down in, in, in verse 3 because he says... Essentially, I'm not able to eat. In fact, I cry more than I eat. My tears are my food during the day. My tears are my food during the night, even as people taunt me while I'm crying. And he continues to plummet down this giant hill in verse 4 because he says, I remember the past. I remember the good days. I remember it being nice once. I remember not only 
praising God and being joyful with other people, but I was the one leading the procession. I was in the one in front of the parade. His memory of the past just hurts him even more because he doesn't have that anymore. But then he gets to verse 5 and says this mantra, this statement that's going to be the balm to his soul. He talks to himself. He commands himself and says, Soul, why are you so in despair? Despair was the Hebrew word to mean to melt away, to dissolve into nothing. He says, soul, why are you melting away? Why are you restless within me? Restless was the word for uh, like an ocean current that was continually boiling over. And he chooses and forces himself to say, wait on God. He says, I'm going to wait on God. This word wait in the Hebrew means not just patiently waiting like you do at a doctor's office, but it was the idea of waiting and hoping on something while you wait. To wait on God knowing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You could say, in fact, your Bible might actually translate it hope instead of wait. It means to say, I know that there is good things coming from God. And that one day, he says, I will again praise him. One day, I will again say, I know God is a help, has been a help, is a help, will be a help, and his presence was with me. So this is the thing he tells himself. He commands his own soul, and that's the balm he uses to soothe himself as he plunges down this first steep hill on a roller coaster. But the thing is about verse 5 is it's forced. His emotions are a wreck. He is weak. He might, maybe, we can't get into his mind, but perhaps he's saying it, but he doesn't really believe it. It's it's something that he knows he should be saying. And so he's saying it. He's choosing hope, but all he really feels in verses 1 through 5 is hurt. But it helps him. Tick, tick, tick. He starts going back up the hill. And then we find the next part of the ride in verses 6 through 11. It says, My soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have passed over me. The Lord will send his goodness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, my soul? And why are you restless within me? Wait for God, for I will again praise Him for the help of His presence, my God. So the second hill hits, and and the mantra helps him for a little bit, and he's kind of gone back up the hill a little bit, but his courage gives way again, and his... His momentary peace and hope gives way again. He plunges back down again. And again, he looks out at this wilderness he has, and it reminds him of what he's going through. He's in this area of Israel where uh, this mountain would have waterfalls that come off, and the waterfalls would run into rapids, and then it would become the Jordan River. 
And so he's looking at, possibly, if you can imagine yourself there, he's looking at these waterfalls falling and these rapids. Maybe, perhaps, I imagine him seeing a leaf that's getting tossed and blown about and swirled around in these things and plunged under the water. And he thinks about that and says, that's how I feel. Verses 6 and 7, the picture is one of just utter helplessness that his feet have been swept out from under him as the waves keep hitting. I'm like being at the beach when your feet get knocked under you and you try to stand on that weak sand, but another wave comes and hits you again. And he says it's just flood after flood that as soon as one flood hits him and it seems like it's getting better, another flood seems to hit him again. And he's just constantly turned about, helpless, hopeless, struggling for air, gasping for breath, gasping for a break. And he continues to plunge down in verses 9 and 10 where he cries out to God and says, God, you're my rock, but I feel like you've forgotten me. I go about mourning, which was the word for grieving at a funeral. And he says, I even feel oppressed by the enemy, which is the only other time this word is used, is to describe what the Egyptians did to the Israelites in Egypt. He says, even my bones feel like they're breaking inside of me as people continue to taunt me. So he plunges back down to this depression. But here's the hope we see in 6 through 11. It's verses 8. Well, it was the first time, the first five verses, it's all hurt. And there's very little hope going on. In these verses, the plunge is not quite as far. And the hurt is not quite as bad. Because in these, these next few verses, a little bit of hope gleams through. Light shines through the, shoots through the darkness. And truth shoots through the darkness. And there is a moment where God's hope consumes his heart in the middle of it. And where in the past, all his days were nothing but crying. Now he says his days is filled with God's loving kindness. And in the past, when he said all of his nights were filled with crying, now he said his nights are filled with God's praise. He plunges down again, but the second plunge is not as bad. And he repeats his course he tells his soul again why are you in despair why are you restless wait hope for god for i will again praise him i will again see that he's my help in my presence and this time it's not as forced this time it's not as hard this time perhaps maybe he even believes it a little bit more and so chapter 42 ends, and we don't really see the conclusion to his life, but chapter 43 picks up, and like I said, it's probably the sequel or the conclusion to this thing. And we see the end of the ride in chapter 43. He says in verse 1, Vindicate me, God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. Save me from the deceitful and unjust person. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light, your truth, they may lead me. They shall bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. I will praise you on the lyre, God, my God. Why are you in despair, my soul, and why are you restless within me? Wait for God, for I will again praise him for the help of his presence, my God. His mantra at the end of 42 helps him go back up the hill and then the last part of the ride comes. But this time it's even more different. 
Because, yeah, he does plunge down a little bit in verses 2. Is he says, God, you're my strength. But I still have a moment where I feel like you've rejected me and you've forgotten me. And God, I still have a moment where, where I'm mourning and I feel like I'm being oppressed by the enemy. But that is the only hurt in that entire chapter. Because this time it's different. This time when he feels the plunge start, when he feels his cart going over the top of the hill... He turns and prays to God. The beginning of verse 43, chapter 43 is so much stronger and so much more confident. He's not looking around the situation around him. He's not thinking of the deer. He's not thinking of the waterfalls. He recognizes he's going over the plunge. And he immediately says, God, vindicate me. God, help me. God, save me. That's how he starts off this time. And apparently whatever his problem was, Involves some person who is being unjust to him. He essentially says, God, I give this moment and this hurt to you. You save me. You deal with it. I'm not holding on to this hurt anymore. And the good news is, starting in verse 3, that there's no more hurt in the rest of that chapter. Because he turns and he sees his ultimate hope. He says, God, send your light into my life. Send your word into my life to direct me the path I should go. The path to your presence. Show me where to get to your altar, which was the symbolic of God's presence and his salvation. And he says with full confidence, I will see exceeding joy. I will praise you again. I will play my instruments again. Now the word dwelling places in verse 3 is plural. So it's possible that he realizes that he can't go back to the past of what he had before with the temple. But he still is different because he's focusing on the future and not his past. He's remembering the worship in the past, but it's helping him because he's looking at the future hope that he will worship God again. And where in verse 5 of chapter 42, he had to force himself to say, I will hope in God. At the end of chapter, of chapter 43, it's a statement of fact. He's saying, I am not going to be despair. I'm not going to be restless because I am going to wait for God. Because I know He's going to be my help and my presence if I wait on Him. And the ride is coming to an end for Him at the end of verse 40, chapter 43. So in this two chapters, we get the story of a man who is going through something that produces a roller coaster of emotions for Him. And we see that as He went through that to the very beginning and the first plunge was very hard, but... He, he did something. He chose to look and wait on God. He chose to focus on the hope instead of the hurt. And as he did that, the ride in the hills got smoother and smoother and smoother. And so the lesson we learned from these two chapters, and the main point is this. Faithful followers of God choose hope over hurt. Faithful followers of God choose hope over hurt. There's four things I want, to note, want you to notice about that, if that statement's true from this passage. And first of these is this, that hope is a choice. Like I said before, at the very beginning especially, man, this guy's emotions were a wreck. He probably did not, did not feel like hoping God. He didn't feel like turning to God during those times. But he made it a matter of choice 
That he was going to choose hope instead of choosing focusing on his hurt. And the thing is about emotions, man, they are fluctuant. They, they are unstable. They are not the best things to base our, our choices on. And so he doesn't do that. He says, even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to choose to let go of the hurt. I'm going to choose to let go of the past. I'm going to choose to look to the future. And I'm going to choose to say, I believe that God does have an end to this ride. I do believe that this is not going to last forever. And it's a choice he makes, which means it didn't come naturally for him. It didn't come automatically for him. It's something he just willed himself to do. The second thing I want you to notice is this, that when he chose hope, the plunges came smaller and less frequent than they were before. The first five verses, it was all downhill for him, and he had to force himself to say something. But then verses 6 through 11, it's downhill some, but we see hope starting to break through. And then you get to chapter 43, and you see this, this overwhelming sense of hope, and hope dominates chapter 43 compared to the hurt. In other words, the longer he did that, and the longer he chose to hope, the smaller the hills became, and the less frequent the hills became. And that's the hope that we have too. Because you've got to remember that these psalms are, were faithful followers of God. These were priests who loved the Lord. And we can look at this guy and realize that when our emotions are a roller coaster like that, that's not a sign that we've failed or a sign that we have no faith. It's a sign that we're going through hurt like God's followers often do. But the choice is that if we choose to focus on our hope in God instead of our hurt, is that God uses that choice to hope to make the ride less bumpy. And so that's the second thing I want you to notice. The third thing I want you to notice is this, that it might take a while for that hope to be realized. You might have to wait. And this is where the dual meaning of that word is so key for us. Because it doesn't mean just to hope, it means to wait. This chapter does not go like this. I'm plunging down the hill, I say the mantra once, and boom, it ends there. Everything's alright, everything's perfect. He plunged down the multiple hills, multiple different times. It took time. He had to wait. He had to say that more than once to himself. He had to wait on God to do something. And that's the third thing we need to notice in that, that as we choose to hope in God, and as God uses that hope to make the rides and the plunges less frequent and lower, that it also might involve waiting. It might involve time. And we don't like to wait. And we don't like things to take time. But that is part of the, the foundation of faith. And he says, when we choose to say, I know that one day God is bringing good into my life. And I am willing to wait for that day. The dam may break again, but it won't break as hard. And your foundation will stand every time. And so notice... 
that he says, hey, faithful followers of God, they choose hope over hurt. So notice that hope is a choice, that when you choose to hope that the uh, plunges become less frequent and not as bad. And then notice that it might involve some time, it might involve some waiting. And then lastly, notice where he found his ultimate hope. He found his ultimate hope in God's truth and in God's light and in God's salvation. That's what he says in verse 43. What ultimately gets him is he turns finally and he says, God, send me your light and send me your truth. And that's what he says in verse 3. And then verse 4 he says, if you send me your light and you send me your truth, I know I'll be able to go to your altar, which is God's place of salvation and his presence. You see, the psalmist knew, I'm sure, the prophecies of Scripture. That he was looking to God's truth and God's life in his life. That was through Scripture, through prayer, through reading the Bible. But he probably also knew the prophecies of Scripture that said God had a servant coming who was going to be the ultimate truth and be the ultimate life and be the ultimate way to go to the altar of God. And so when he's putting his, tr- his hope and trust, when he finally finds that hope in God's light and in God's truth, he's also looking to the person God promised to them years ago, the person that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And ultimate hope is found when we find Christ. He is our light. He says inside, uh, Jesus says, he says, then Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness of our lives. Jesus is the truth. He says, I am the, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth that shows us how to get to the Father. And the author of Hebrews shows us that Jesus is the way for us to enter into God's presence, to experience that joy and that peace from Him again. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have this confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Jesus, there is the place of hope. He's the ultimate purpose of hope. He is the, um, he is the truth that brings us into God. He gives us the peace that, that He provides. He gives us the, the light to illuminate our darkness. He is the ultimate hope. And guys, there is no hope outside of Christ. There's no hope for today and there's no hope for eternal life without Christ. So Christ is our source of hope and our salvation. He's our source of hope and our motivation. Because I want you to think about this for a second. The story, the, the point of this psalm is that he says, faithful followers of God choose hope over hurt. Jesus is the ultimate example for us of what that looks like. Because picture with me back then, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he's sitting on that cross. He's got nails driven through his wrist. He's got cuts deep into his body from being, being hit with those whips, those cat and nine tail. He has blood dripping down his face from that crown of thorns. And not only that, but he has been spit on. He's been hit. And even in that moment, hanging on the cross, he has people insulting him and blaspheming him and saying terrible things about him. And in that moment, as he is currently experiencing betrayal, as he's currently experiencing hurt, as he's currently experiencing that emotional and that physical problems, this is what Jesus says. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. 
But then there's not just the people sitting there in front of the cross that are spitting on him, but them is every single one of us. Because our, when we chose to sin, we sent Jesus to the cross. When we chose to do things, we have chosen to hurt Jesus. So Jesus, when he says that, he says, Father, forgive Michael, because he does not know what he's doing to me. And on the cross, Jesus chose not to hang on to the hurt that I've done to him, that you have done to him, but he gave up that hurt instead to show compassion and to show forgiveness and to show grace. Jesus is the example of what it means to let go of the hurt of our past and cling to the hope. Because we get a picture of what Jesus' mind is like in Hebrews chapter 12. This is what Jesus was thinking when he said that. He says, Looking only to Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He said he endured the cross because he had a joy. What was that joy? The joy that you and I could be reconciled to him and have a relationship with him. Jesus was looking to the future of who we would be with him and not to the past of what we've done to him. And so we see in this passage a roller coaster of emotions of a guy struggling with despair and just depression caused by possibly somebody else who has hurt him. And he plunges down several times. But it gets better and gets better with time because he chose to hope instead of hurt. Faithful followers of God choose to hope in Christ instead of choosing to keep hurting. Looking to Jesus who demonstrated that for us. And so what that means for us is really two things this morning. First, if you are holding on to some hurt today, or you're online, you're listening, you're holding on to some hurt today, when we pray, I challenge you, pray this prayer that the psalmist did. Say, God, I am no longer going to hold on to my hurt. I'm giving up my hurt to you. And God, I am going to wait for your hope. I am choosing to wait in your strength. I'm choosing to wait in your passion. I'm choosing to wait in your compassion, God, because I know that you've got a good thing coming. And pray and let go of the hurt and choose the hope instead. If you, or, but especially if you've never placed your faith in Christ, do that today because you can't experience that hope unless you place your faith in Jesus. I'm going to be down here if you need to talk to me about placing faith in Jesus or you want me to pray. These seats are open up here. Online, you can go to greensportbaptist at gmail.com or comment on Facebook below, and I'll answer back to there. But as Scott plays in just a second, let's respond to how God has placed in your